Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Weighed In podcast. The mood is great, spring is in the air, the flat is back, Dubai is now behind us. We've got Aintree to look forward to, the clocks have changed. Honestly, I'm skipping around the place. We've had Aidan O'Brien's press day. I saw a very funny tweet on uh, Twitter that said, um, imagine being a racing journalist that wasn't invited to either Maydan or the Aidan O'Brien press day. And I can raise my hand in that department. Uh, the world and his wife seem to be in Maydan. And then they seem to all be at Ballydor this morning as well, including our own Kevin Blake. How was it, Kev? I'll make you feel a little bit better, Vanessa. This was just for the Irish uh, media this morning. So, um, oh, that does make me feel better. Thanks. Yeah, so so no one, no one from Cross Channel was invited, and rightly so, it must be said. Um, but no, very good, lovely, lovely weather. Um, it's to be horrible for the next couple of days, so probably lucky to get it done. Um, usual, sure, it's always a treat. Um, see all those horses. Um, Aiden gives it gives a great time, and um, yeah, lovely, lovely morning. I literally just got back in five minutes before I jumped in this call, so it's all fresh in my head. If you want to quiz me up later on. Well, well, come on, let's start with with a snippet. I asked you this off the back of Gordon's press day, I think, um, ahead of Cheltenham. So I'm going to ask you the same question. If you were to give our loyal listeners and viewers just one snippet from the Ballydoll press day about any horse, not maybe not an obvious one, what oh, might it be? I have one, I have one, I have one. Uh, it's a difficult to pronounce name. I'm going to have it in front of me in three seconds. Uh, okay. The horse was called Alexandropoulos. He seemed particularly sweet on a horse called Alexandropoulos by Camelot out of Jazz Cat. He won a maiden at Galway and uh, he's going to run in the Derby trial. He won't be on many radars. And I can see Tony Calvin finding the Derby market as we speak. Oh, no, no, I, I, know, I, know horse, I know the horse well. So. Okay, I don't know what price it is for the Derby. Maybe, maybe he's a shorter price than I'm imagining, but um, he seemed particularly sweet on him. And when he was being sweet on him, I think it was when um, the, the audience steadily reduced through the day to the point where there was only about four of us left with Aiden by the, by the very end and he, he maybe may saved his sweetest words for him then so there you go that's my snippet love it okay thank you very much for that TC how are you are you sad that you went to Aiden's press today no I, I, I thought it must be for Irish press so I didn't see Yates stuck to the back of Aiden O'Brien <laughs> in, in all the shots on Twitter so uh <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, he's only he's only sixteen to one for the derby. Apologies for giving that a bigger bill up than it deserved. I thought he might have been turkey trees or something. Yeah, that, that horse is well entered up last year. Really impressive. I think he beat a stable mate at Galway a shorter price one. Yeah, I, I know it quite well. Um no, I'm I'm all good. I've just uh, mown my lawn for the first time this year. Oh yes. Wow, so I've, I've got a trim hedge, we all like to know. Yeah, cool. so good. Brilliant. Love to hear it, TC. Great, great stun already. People have been coming on to me saying, you're breaking out in laughter for no apparent reason all the time, Blake. People are worried about you. <laughs> I have a happy Kevin, disposition. He's just happy. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, I, I throw to him thinking like he's got something funny to say and he's just like, no, no, just laughing to myself. Um Brendan, we better check. You have, you have you have to laugh at life sometimes because geez, if you took it too seriously, you might you might get everyone thinks you're incontinent, Blake. Come on, get <laughs> yourself together. Uh, Brendan, flat is back, pal. Surely you went to Nace or the Curra this weekend, did you? Or both? I I I, I went to both in, in yes. fact, Vanessa. And uh, what 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 is what a joy of a week of a weekend it was. Uh, some proper race. It was right good crowd in the Curra as well. It's mm. unexpected scene, so that that was highly encouraging. I think I saw a very good two year old as well. Um, granted, he looked more like a three year old. Actually, he's quite interesting for the um, the stride length ultras that B Bucanero Fuerte. I mean, I don't know. You'd need to get uh, the boy Rollins on the case or what have you. But to the eye, he looked to have a raking big stride on him. But uh, that was great. And then, of course, we got the the hour spring forward on Sunday. So the the Grand Isle stretch in the evenings has been supercharged. So I couldn't be happier, basically. Come on, we'll ask you a similar question to the one I threw to Kevin. On the hot, please, Brendan. You stayed for Aidan O'Brien's gallops at the Curra on Saturday. Uh, what was was there anything to take away from that? Anything that caught your eye of interest that hasn't already been reported on? 
Well, I will say, uh, I, I haven't seen the reports, and I didn't stay for the gallops because uh, I might as well be looking into a field of corn. You know, they just sort of sauntered up. Oh. I, did have a look, I, I did have a look at the horses before they went out to gallop. And of course, Tony would be interested in this paddock bluffing. Uh, I, I noted that Meditate and Proud and Regal don't seem to have grown at all. Uh, uh, over the over the winter, and it just was particularly taken by one horse. Thoughts of June, you rem- may remember her nicking a Cheshire Oaks last year, uh, and then obviously something went wrong in the Oaks, or s- shortly after the Oaks, because she hasn't run since. But she looked to have done particularly well from three to four. So it'd be it's just interesting. Moy Blair kept her in training, being a breeding operation. So they might have hopes for her this season in Mare's pattern race. Well why when you go racing with your cigars and floppy Panamas, Brendan, mm. Uh, when you say a horse hasn't grown in the previous year, do you tape a tape measure? And, well, no, again you know, how high it is in 2022, then go back in 2023 and get out. No, no, no we no, have no, eyes, do you see? Well, yeah, I, see, wait, I how my... many horses do you look at a year? Five thousand, and you can remember one. I think um, old bollocks about all these. <laughs> no, no, I, I know you do, and uh, you, you could well be right. It's probably a vanity project. I'm always when you talk about this, I'm always reminded of Moneyball. You know, Moneyball with it there. Oh, he looks like a ball player, and yeah, then the yeah. Quans guys, the Quans guys get in and go, I don't care what he looks like. Here are the numbers. So it's probably, <laughs> it's, it's probably a vanity project for me. But I've been standing around paddocks for 35 years, Tony. Could you not just give me this one thing? That I might have <laughs> learned something over the years. <laughs> true about the cigars and big floppy panama hat i don't yeah, smoke I, I, I can confirm I, I, that's true i um, do have a i do have a panama hat yeah yeah okay <laughs> guys let's move on we're all in very cheery form this morning spring <laughs> is definitely in our steps um let's focus in on maidan saw one particularly world-class performance from the mighty horse that is equinox bolting up in the Shima Classic, beating Westover and a clutch of other top-class horses in behind and doing it in what looked like essentially a piece of work from the front. It, I mean, I'm not like a massive Maidan World Cup night fan, but obviously sat down to watch it. And I didn't expect that from him. We spoke about it on Racing Only Better on Thursday. We knew all the hype beforehand. TC, you had given us that line from Ryan Moore in regards to what he thought about this horse and the form coming in. But that performance was one of real wow factor, I felt. He's now 6-1 to from 12s for the arc. And I guess people are asking, is he the best horse in the world? TC, I'll come to you first here. What did you make of the mighty Equinox? Well, if if he rocked up at... In the arc on, on decent ground, they went there. I mean, I mean, he's not going to be six and sevens, is he? But obviously the ground is the problem. And, um, you know, that's that's got to be factored in. If he's even going to turn up, if you're taking an anti-post prize. But boy, was he impressive, wasn't he? I mean, it was a bit of a late move for him on Betfair. Someone came in with a 20 grand lump at 202 just at the off. And I don't think they got properly filled. They had to be gutted because he jumped off, travelled well and just... It, you mentioned it, it did look like a piece of work, didn't it? It was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously what Ryan's... I mean, Ryan's... I've never heard him so effusive about a horse. I mean, you know, for him to say unbelievable talent, you know, bolt up, etc. that's... You know, this wasn't a fives-on shot. I mean, it's a five-to-four shot at the time. So, yeah, but ridiculously impressive. I would take out... I'm trying to get a price on Westover for the arc at the moment. Um, it's 50s in a place... I thought that run really well. I mean, obviously, Daylight was second, but he ran a promising race. I think he ran above expectations, uh, reading through the lines, played up a little bit before the start. And obviously, mm-hmm. he gets better ground than he did last year. I think Westover at 50s could well be the, I hate to say it, me the um, you know the underplayed horse in, in the arc at the moment. But yeah, I mean, a brilliant night for the Japanese, but that is just one monster of a horse by the looks of it, isn't it? Monster indeed, Kev. Um, other than the obvious, what more can we add about Equinox's performance? What more is there to say other than incredible? Yeah, and Shaluk, you know, I suppose the only question he had to answer coming in was he'd never been international before. Um, and he, you know, blew that out of the water um, under different tactics. You know, he can clearly do things whichever way he needs to. Um, I see just as we're talking, Timeform brought out his, his revised rating, 132, highest rated turf horse in the world at the minute. Um, and you'd have to say he earned it because this was a deep field and he he, he was 
laughing at them. You know, really and truly was. Um, so yeah, really interested to see where he goes. Like as TC mentions, you, you'd be concerned that he might not get his ground in the arc. But look, we know what the Japanese are like. Like they're their game, and they really want to win that race. And you got, I think they're going to have to send them, aren't they? Send them, see what happens. Um, and geez, if the ground came up good, which it can, um, God, he'd take some whacking now. You'd need the things to conspire against them, I think. And who knows where we'll be in six months? We might have seen a you know superstar derby winner, or, or you never know what you're going to get in this wonderful, wonderful flat game. Um, but he sets the bar very, very high in fairness to him. Brendan, you've already mentioned, given away your age, that you've been watching racing for 30 plus years. Equinox sort of goes right up there, as Kevin's already said, in terms of the current world best with that ranking from time form. Um, was he, is there any holes to pick in him or were you with the rest of us in terms of just effusive praise? Very hard. And uh, as Kevin mentioned, there's an extra dimension to him now because uh, it turns out he's tactically versatile. I love the change in tactics. They obviously listened to me and my pace map and the concerns about the pace of the race. They said, well, we'll just jump out in front, set perfect fractions and set a track record time. Uh, an, an absolute dodly. You can, you can do anything with the horse. The, 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 the ground, of course, maybe uh, on, on heavy ground, he, he wouldn't be as effective. But I uh, French going descriptions are a complete mystery, but time form have given. I looked at this uh, for last year's arc. The, the last twenty arcs is basically even money that you'll get good ground, and obviously it doesn't have to be heavy. It's not either good or heavy. There's the 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 there's areas in between, and if it doesn't come up really deep, given his tactical versatility and more importantly, given his his raw ability, I mean he slaughtered one twenty horses there at the weekend. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to take a good one, good one to beat. I mean, the Japanese just are remarkable, aren't they? They're just remarkable uh, the, the way they've they, they've taken a dominant dominant position in global racing. They're they're credit to uh, the horses are credit to the country and their industry. Yeah, you mean well, perfect set the perfect fractions there. I mean, we should mention we had a question on this that I answered on Twitter, and Angus McNay actually came in. I prompted him, and he came in and answered it. There was no sectional timing on the night. That made on considering you got 10 million pound races, isn't that just odd? I mean, they had it in 2022, but apparently some contract ended last year and they didn't get anything in place, um, you know, in time. Isn't isn't that just bizarre? I mean, it feels very this, bizarre, yeah. This is yeah. disappointing, you know, this, this day and age. I know we, we don't have it closer to home where, when we wanted, but um, top international meeting like that where money. I dare say isn't really an object. Yeah, yeah, you would have you would have hoped that that was there in place. I'm um, just assuming he ran uh, perfect fractions, given it's very difficult to run uh, track record time inefficiently. So I, 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 I think there was two. There was two track records broken. I think Broom, albeit yeah. that distance wouldn't wouldn't be used loads, so it mightn't be the most hammered down record you'd ever see. But um, conditions are outplayed their part as well. Obviously, I'd say it was quite quick. Okay. Um, we should obviously now move on and give a proper mention to Ushba Tesoro, who won the Dubai World Cup, breaking Algiers supporters' hearts in the closing oh. stages for Simon and Ed Chris. With my God, that was heartbreak. If you either backed him or you're with him or wanted to see um, the Dubai World Cup come back to the UK, he looked all but the winner, Kev, and then a tough as teak horse from behind from the Japanese team comes and mows him down in the closing stages when the fuel tank was clearly running on empty for Algiers. Um, I mean, I, was it a vintage Dubai World Cup? I don't really know, to be honest with you, but my heart did go out to Algiers. Yeah, because you, like, you look at the result, you watch the race, and then you look at the result and like winner slowly in the stride, third, near rear, fourth, mid-division, fifth, mid-division, and poor Al Algiers, you know, up there all the way, hits the front, you know, well over a furlong out, looks to have it wrapped up, and, like, he's the one that stands out like a sore thumb, you know, amongst those that that, that helped um, force the pace. Um, really tough beat for all involved. Anyone that backed him as well now would have been headbutting the wall, I'd say, because it looked all over. Um, so plenty of credit to him, but let's not take away from the winner. Um, a horse that, you know, had never run in a, in a group race, I think I'm right in saying, never mind a group one um, prior to this, but had been coming up the ranks um, in Japan. And yeah, what a way to, to burst onto the big race scene by our favourite, that, that, that old favourite. Uh -huh. um, 
Like that that we all remember for his <laughs> agon agonizing defeat in the arc. That's, <laughs> um, the, best. that's the best Twitter uh, piece of all time, isn't it? Yeah, oh, those, those poor, poor, those poor, poor people. Yeah, <laughs> but he's actually, in fairness to him, he, he's he's popping away quite well as as a sire at the minute. But um, yeah, like like look again, I, I don't want to go into you know repeating what Brendan was saying there about the Japanese. Like Jesus, they 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 threw a lot of ammo at this, and if if the the increase in the level of ammunition that they're throwing at the likes of here in Saudi you know, carries on to the European racing season. Like, it's, it's going to be fascinating because, look, look the, uh, there's been a heavy um, view for for quite a while that, that these are world-class operators, um, be it on turf for, or dirt, and they're spreading their wings an awful lot more in recent years. And I tell you, they're going to be... Um, they're going, to, they're going to take a bit of whacking if they come over in numbers um, to the likes of Royal Ascot. I know the timings aren't always perfect for them, but they've shown they can do it. They've had winners at Glorious Goodwood, et cetera, um, in recent years. So, yeah, look, I've, I've got huge regard for them. And uh, I, I always I always enjoy when they have success, even if it comes at the expense of those a little bit closer to home. TZ, we should probably mention the likes of Lord North, obviously winning a Dubai turf for the third time, which is pretty incredible given that he's clearly quite a fragile horse. And also the aforementioned Broom, who won obviously for Aidan O'Brien, the Dubai Gold Cup. Um, other, they were standout performances, but I suppose everything and everyone was a bit eclipsed by Equinox on the night, yeah. really. But well, the Japanese, obviously, they won the UAE Derby by mile. If you go back and have brilliant training performance for Lord North, isn't it? We were last month, we were arm in arm whether he was going to win an egg and spoon race in his prep race on the weather over here. But to win that race uh, for a third time is unbelievable. I mean, I mean, if you look in at the, the race in total, I mean, the Japanese probably should have won that because uh, Dan on Beluga came from absolutely miles away, met trouble in running and was in another 50 yards or so would have probably, I know the winner might be been easing up a bit, but he was flying home. What is it about these jockeys? I mean, they're brilliant top-notch jockeys in their own countries. And we have it, you know, in the, while looking at the Breeders' Cup and in the French racing stuff like that. But Marrera just looked around the place, didn't he? I mean, he didn't look particularly strong. He took a long while to straighten it up and, and get him moving. So that was unlucky. Broom was... Broom was really, well, that was really well back. I mean, that was 16s in the morning. And he went off at nines, but I was having a look at the Betfair market. And he actually went off at an S Betfair SP of 7.7, .7, so well under the odds. So someone fancied that on Betfair. Um, and now he's 7 to 1 second favourite for the Gold Cup after Kiprios has uh, been yeah. the first part of the season, just behind Trushan. And as we all know, Trushan may or may not get his ground at uh, Ascot. So yeah, Broom. On an early second start over two miles, he's a uh, he's a major force in that division because that was an impressive performance. Yeah, just on Mar okay. just on Moreira, Joe Moreira, like he he's a class jockey, but like he's he's had a lot of problems, and he's on essentially on a farewell tour at the minute. He had a I think he's got real issues with his hip, and he didn't ride for ages. And I think he's finished riding in Hong Kong now, and he's basically just going to go around the international meetings. And um and finish up. So it's worth bearing in mind if, if you're lashing into one of his mounts um, at some stage during the season because he's retiring for a reason. Like he's, he's physically not what he was. Baby um, Russell so, Mark too. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I I it was in my brain, TC. I didn't say it, so you said it for me. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, just bear that in mind because it would be he'd turn up at Ascot and the likes. I'd imagine. So um, worth bearing in mind. OK, let's move on and pick up some bits and pieces elsewhere and closer to home, Brendan. Uh, like we've been saying, the flat is back in Ireland and it's normal service resumes. Aidan O'Brien straight to the sort of taking the big races anyway, or a couple of them, including the handicap at Nace with Paddington on his third start, seems to have caught lots of people's attention. He has been cut for all sorts of races, including the Guineas, where he's now 25 shot, the Derby, where he's a 20 to 1 shot, and the Prix de Jockey Club, where he is a 16 to 1 shot. Mm. Um, talk to me about Paddington. He came over to Ascot last year, didn't he? In that slightly weird bit of race planning, we thought at the time. And now he's gone and done this. 
Yes, and uh, in, in between, of course, he, he was impressive up the Curra. Uh, a very good-looking horse, uh, Paddington, now looks more like a miler to, to my eye uh, than a middle-distance horse. He's got a big backside on him, really strong, really stood out in, in the parade ring before this race. Now, they weren't a great bunch, to be fair, and the second was nearly a stone wrong at the weights. And the others were all knocking themselves over off the track. I wouldn't even say it was a particularly strong renewal of the Madrid handicap Never mind to be talking about uh, classic aspirations, but he he was impressive. I'd say he could be one of these horses they just send over for a guineas trial, maybe in England, just to get a sense of what's going on over there, knowing that they have horses that can pick him up and carry him back home. I did I did have a look at that race that he won there, and um, I know they think quite a bit of him. And you know, even though he won that for ninety seven, I had looked back at the winners of that race, and Ort had actually won that yeah. race. Oh yeah, ninety five. In 2016, yeah. and two starts later, he actually slaughtered Galileo Gold in the in the Irish 2000 Guineas. So that was yeah. a very good renewal. I'd just be a bit skeptical about this form on Sunday. Yeah, yeah like like go if you go back like further than that, like that's a race that that would have had like a, a real um like you know you get some serious winners of it, like but it just doesn't get used like that anymore. Like all it had was kind of a real drawback, but um it, it doesn't tend to get used like that anymore. Whereas historically, you could have got you know you would get quite a number of classic winners pop out of it um we should also mention obviously at this time of the year everyone loves latching on to the two-year-olds who's forward whose offspring are forward whose yards are forward and um at the curra the first race of this on the saturday was of course the two-year-old maiden and brendan we saw a win for team kevin stott and ammo racing obviously that mm. new partnership um this horse that was actually uh, is also entered in a breeze up, but obviously they've decided to go straight to the track. Very much this team's sort of mo with these early two year olds. But was he a horse that you think would be a longer term good prospect rather than just an oh. early? Well, I mean, it was an interesting race. It was it's certainly a strike for market efficiency. I mean, a, a bunch of unraised two year olds and the first three in the bet and their first three in the race. But uh, this horse massively stood out in the, in the parade ring before, and he's an absolute unit. Now, you wouldn't need the paddock bluffers to tell you that he cost 150 <laughs> grand. He was the second oldest horse in the race. So he definitely had advantages. But again, he was immaculately behaved beforehand. He never turned a hair, jogged down to the start. Travelled beautifully through the race, as I mentioned earlier, big rake and stride on him. Um, he'd be very interesting. I, I, I think he's a proper horse. It's just he does have a lot of knee, as well as having a big stride. He had a lot of knee action. You would be concerned about him on quicker ground. But I, I, my guess is it's very hard. The form could completely fall asunder. But to my eye, Vanessa, he looks a proper horse. He, um, did we Love worry it. that all these ammo racing horses... I don't know if it's because the owners are obviously they're quite demanding, aren't they? Whether they mm. insist on them being really revved up first time up, because some of their record first time up with these two roles, they all seem to know their job, even though this one was quite weak late on. And he was yes, um, it, they, they have a they have a system there, Tony, that that is, is overseen by, by Robson Aguar, who who would have been made his name in the in the breeze up circuit. And he would have charge of a lot of these horses for, for quite up until quite late before they run. And like they would be, there would be a big emphasis on precocity and, and getting them rolling and knowing their job and making hay. Like there would be, there wouldn't be loads of operations now to run a horse like this. You know, a full brother to to a pre-labre winner. I wouldn't bass at 165 grand. I would have been giving him a squeeze to to go in the first maiden of the year. But but that's kind of very much the way um, these guys think. And, and look, they win, they win a heap of races. It'd be fascinating to see if they kind of keep driving, which one assumes they will. But I'd say this, like, you know, we've had some right winners of this, in fairness, um, Dawn Approach, obviously the most famous, but um, like being this early doesn't mean that you can't be, you know, still up there at the end of the season. Um, like, I don't know, thinking back to Brocklesby winners, um, Lion, Lion, the last Lion, uh, Persian Force recently. Um, and I'd say this fella could be one of those that kind of keeps driving. Um, so, yeah, yeah, interesting one, interesting operation. And, and this fella is a good example of it. I'm always fascinated. We'll move on, but I'm always fascinated by the ammo racing operations. Remember this from this time next uh, last year to about two weeks before Ascot, they just had first time out or second time out winners, just left, right, and centre. Phillies, Colts, every distance. 
through the kitchen sink at having a Royal Ascot winner, which I think is basically their main aim and holy grail. And they drew a blank, which I think it was no secret how frustrated the operation were with that. Mm. But they're ploughing on with the same strategy this year, it would seem. I'm, I'm intrigued mm. to see how it pans out for them. Let's move on, TC. We should give a mention to a couple of jump sources. Obviously, it's not all about yeah. flat. Um, yeah. The Devils coachman is now sevens from eights for the Irish National, having won uh, this week for the Nolmead team. Obviously, three from three this season when he stood up. And mm. um, does he have the profile for a race like the Irish National? Uh, I had not a race I've had a look at, but I did see this, the quotes after the races. If it, if it came up, uh, they might consider the Fairy House Gold Cup. Uh, as as opposed to the Irish national, if the ground wasn't uh, wasn't great for him, so keep that in mind. Uh, and Kalashnikov, it just shows you that it just shows you that if you think out of the box, and increasingly trainers are. I mean, you have got Kalashnikov who was beaten into the next parish on his two two runs this season, and um, you know he goes over to France and picks up a twenty three grand you know hurdle like that, and he's desperately out of form I mean obviously you've got Noel George over there with his training operation and things like that I mean again field sizes are in focus again this week uh, and or every other week it seems and you know I think we're going to see more of that I think you're just going to see people cherry picking these races you see you've, you've heard of George Bowie and uh, he's already been over there in France winning listed races and group races this season hasn't he um no I just with with the racing over this country especially it jumps in a pretty desperate state prize money wise then you know fair play to Amy Murphy it's great placing yeah no it was great magic to see as well clearly meant a lot to the team that is our race review section done and dusted let's move on to topics because we've got some hot hot topics this week we are going to kick off with the Irish meteorites which as Kev pointed out in the WhatsApp group, a cat uh, there was a cat amongst the pigeon thrown in this week because Arc Arena Racing Company have offered the breakaway group that is named the United Irish Racecourses, which includes five tracks, 100k per fixture. It's an unsolicited offer. That's the quote that's come out, um, and it's now on the table to this breakaway group. Kev, I mean, competition is a good thing. Fighting over Irish rights is surely healthy. If a breakaway group did come to fruition, it's a dangerous place because obviously it gives tracks, all the tracks, options going forward. Good for the tracks. Probably not something the higher powers above want to see, but it might well happen now. Yeah, HRI now would be would be very concerned by all this because there was always a big thing with the Irish meteorites was the value of a united front, negotiating power, etc. But the problem is is clearly that they've lost some of the, 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 the smaller tracks, the lesser tracks, if you, if you want to put it that way. They feel they haven't been getting a fair deal. Um, and they've put this group together. They, they're saying that there's more tracks other than the, the five named ones that aren't happy. And yeah, like it, it's, it's really interesting. You know, the, there's now a, a figure is now out there as to what it could be worth to them if they break away. Um, like, look, there could be an awful lot of legal um, hurdles and, and implications to this, even if they are allowed to do it, you know, because HRI said at the last meeting that they only need a majority of the tracks to agree with to do the deal with um, SIS, RMG for that to be ratified and go ahead. So, like, how this all pans out, it could, could be fascinating. Um, there could be an awful lot of value in it for the smaller tracks. Um, they'll get a much bigger shine. They'll presumably get it'll be worth more money to them, um, and negotiating power going forward will be will be stronger if there's if there's two uh, if there's two dogs in a fight as such, um, and then you also have the potential for Arc to buy Dundalk, which is um, talks have been seemingly ongoing for for the better part of a year, and if that happens with the amount of fixtures that Dundalk has in the year, like that would be a, a, a highly destructive move from you know to HRI. Um, so it, it, it's it's fascinating times, and look, people will always say that you know I'm biased, you're biased, etc. But I I think it's very interesting. Um, I think it's very interesting. I I, I remain perplexed that uh, that HRI were so willing to go to to start to make SIS in particular their preferred partner, given that um, SIS absolutely threw Irish Racing under the bus in the middle of the last deal by, by switching broadcaster mid deal. They you know failed to deliver on the, the, the sectional timing that they promised. 
And as the Racing Post reported a couple of months ago, SIS is potentially about to be sold. Um, and what happens then? Because uh, what what it's it's it was it proved to be extremely um, informed remark. A chap said to me last year we were talking about oh you know who do you think will get the rights blah blah blah, and he said you know I think SIS RMG might be very hard to beat. And I said why is that? He said well I, the chat is that SIS want to um, want to sell up soon, and with a view to that they want as much media rights in their bag as they can because the more media rights they hold the higher their valuation would be. So he said, oh, and it was just chat, but he said, don't be surprised now if they if their offer proves very difficult to beat because they might be willing to overpay to get that in the bag. And I said, well, what happens if they get sold and the, and the new owner looks at this and said, geez, that's that's completely overvalued. Uh, so I don't know. I have to wait and see. I hope HRI are going in with their eyes open. So I don't know. One would hope that they're covering all these bases given that they got such... Um, that they got they got so caught so unawares in the middle of the last deal by giving SIS the rights to to you know to give it to whatever channel they saw fit, leading to all that disruption. So you'd hope they've got the media rights committee have gone in their eyes open and are aware of these possibilities. I'm sure they have, but yeah, fascinating. If you're into this type of thing, Vanessa, it's 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 very interesting times. Hey, look, like like you said, you know, we've we've all well, we all have got an interest in this. It's absolutely fascinating. I won't pretend to know the sort of in-depth details of the situation, but Kevin, you've done a brilliant job of trying to explain it to us all there. And TC, you'll have been following this with interest, I am sure. What was your reaction when you saw that news that came out in regards to this hundred K unsolicited offer per fixture? To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, like Kev's all over this and probably Brendan's probably got more to say than I have. But just from a just from a viewer point of view, um, that's where I come from. I come across as a as a punter first and foremost. Um, I don't watch a lot of racing because the you know, channels are congested, etc. If anything can break up, you know, monopoly of, you know, of, of some some channels, you know, it just give the viewers a chance to actually enjoy the build up to races, not going from, you know, uh, we go from the world, uh, Dubai world cup past the post over to the, over to Kelso where we're joining after free flights, that kind of stuff. Anything that breaks it up and makes it a better viewing experience for the punter and the viewer is, um, is welcome here, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't profess to know uh, the politics that Kevin's so, you know, adequately underlined there. Well, TC, I'm sure many of our viewers and listeners who are just fans of the sport concur with your thoughts. They just want the best product possible on the TV. Brendan, do and, you and, have and ideally they won't want to pay for it, Vanessa. Don't forget about this the paywall. Um, no, like because uh, we we we've spoken all winter about how British national hunt racing like isn't exactly a great spectacle through the season. Like my view is, that I think there's a huge opportunity for Irish racing to to really come to prominence as a as a superior product. And when it's behind yeah. the paywall, it just it just makes that very difficult to, to get to get to that wider audience that you're pitching at. Of course. Brendan, what are your thoughts on this situation? Well, I, I, again, I don't think I'm as closely involved with it or indeed as, as interested in it as, as Kevin. I'm, I'm conscious, though, of how factionalised things are in England and how well I think Irish racing is run. And what I wouldn't like to see a situation is like you have the UIR now and then you know, the, the real UIR, the continuity UIR, the things getting, <laughs> getting factionalised like that. I, I do think that HRI generally are doing a very good good job of running around. And, and if you start all these groups going off with their own, well, we can get more money here, we can do this. I'm not sure it'd be great for, for, for the industry as a whole. And I, I was interested in Kevin's point about SIS just buying up all the talent to make them, a more attractive prospect. I again, I, I I know so little about money and business and deals and what have you. But would the people who are buying SIS presumably know what they're doing as well, and they would do their due diligence. So they're not going to fall for this if it's a bit of a tree card trick, are they? Well, well look, the the more rights you have, the more the more valuable you are. You know, one would imagine they wouldn't, but you know that was seemingly the, the that was seemingly the what they're aiming to do basically the more assets you have obviously the bigger number you can put next to your name and uh, by getting them in the bag um you know give them more value and i don't know what the progress now the racing post carried a story about that potential sale maybe six weeks ago two months ago i'm sure it's still on i'm sure it's still available but um, well it sounded like it was moving 
Yeah, okay. well, clearly uh, there is a lot more to unfold here and we will be following on this show with interest. So stay tuned for further progress with the Irish media rights, whichever direction it goes in. Let's move on to sponsorship. The Derby still doesn't have a sponsor, neither, which is quite shocking given that it's our biggest flat race of the year by a million miles. Um the Lincoln this coming Saturday at Doncaster looks like it's going to go sponsorless as well. We're raising the question as to why is racing such an unattractive sponsorship offer to non-bookmaker sponsors, I guess. I mean, TC, I think you've got a line on this. You've been across this story this week. Yeah. Are we shocked? that? I mean, I'm not shocked that maybe the Lincoln doesn't have a sponsor, but I am shocked that the Derby doesn't. The it came, I was looking at the Lincoln yesterday, just starting a column on it, and um, I just thought it's not even sponsored now. So I went back and had a look. I, you'll get a last minute sponsor coming in for a, a low level price. Uh, the last, you know, the last five sponsors have all been bookmakers SBK, Unibet, 32 Red, Betway, William Hill, and some of those came in at the last minute as well. So, but obviously, the wider problem is, is, is the Derby. Uh, so I asked around this morning, I, I spoke to three people and I literally had the, actually picked up the phone to one of them and had a good chat. And um, he doesn't mind me mentioning his name. And he's particularly relevant here because he was Steve Marana, who was the CFO of Kazoo when they sponsored the Derby for the last two years. Now, they've their their, their agreement came to an end. It, apparently, it's always going to be a two-year deal. So, you know, it's not like Epsom have had this has been, you know, thrown a thrust upon them. They know this is coming for a while. And the fact that the Derby still hasn't got a sponsor, you know, getting towards April is a worry. So I actually said to him, you know, just why, why is this a problem for our, you know, our showcase race? And I was busy. I put my glasses on, I read what he said. I took out six bullet points from him. Like I said, I had a good chat with him. He just said, one, the world is tougher. He said, you, you sponsor the Derby if you're trying to build a brand. And he said, it's a real tough world out there, and a lot of lot of firms haven't got the kind of money to actually do that, like you know, Kazoo had, and obviously that didn't work out particularly well. But that was one. He said the consolidation of betting brands is 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 a is a is an issue. Now I know it's not directly relevant here, but obviously you have a situation whereby they, they you know Epsom are trying to get a non-bookmaker sponsor. But he said the consolidation of brands. Uh, you know, you've got big, you know, like Entain and Flutter. You know, he said that, that's driving the prices down. He said um, racing has been too reliant on the past with 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 existing sponsorship and trying to get new ones in, uh, firms in. He, he mentioned RSA as a classic example. Uh, Trap 4, uh, he said, racing is a minority sport. And this really resonated with me. He said, obviously, on these boards, it all, when someone makes a suggestion, you have to have a racing fan on the board to drive this forward. He said, otherwise, it falls at the it falls at the first hurdle. He was obviously Gazoo, so he he pushed that. He said, you know, without me there, it's nothing's going to happen because half half of the people on these boards and these companies have never even been racing racing once. So that's a problem. He said, five football is killing everything. All the all the spend is going towards football. And, this, and the lastly, before I I spoke to other people, but I won't go into that. But lastly, and this, this touch home as well, he said, there's no central body. If you're a would-be sponsor into racing, he said, there is no one central body that you can go to and just say, look, I want to sponsor your sport. Because we're such a disparate sport, um, he said, you know, he said, I'm a CEO. I've got loads of money. Who do I approach in racing to try and get involved with the, with the derby? Um, is it the BHA? Is it the Jockey Club race course? Is, is it you know, in another sponsorship? Is it our? He, he, what he, what Stephen did say? He said he said Jockey Club race courses and the likes of Art. He said they're a pleasure to deal with. He said they're a professional as any outfit we've dealt with. So it isn't the professionalism in these in these organisations. It's just racing doesn't seem to be attractive for the reasons I've outlined. Yeah, I mean. Mm -hmm. There's some really interesting takeaways there from those points and good on TC having a conversation with someone who's so well informed with it. It's interesting, Kev, there, what he says about, you know, you need someone on the board who's a racing fan. It's not obviously quite the same situation, but I look at, and I am obviously involved with them, but I look at um, Howden Insurance teaming up with their four-year partnership deal with Ascot a couple of years ago. You know, that was a big deal. 
um obviously a non-bookmaker brand signing up with a big race course like that they've got huge exposure but the reason that that was pushed through and the ball was originally rolling with that is because the boss man david howden is he such loves, a passionate racing. Yeah. racing fan so you know it's worked for them as their brand because it gives them huge exposure all summer all winter long across the board but you know that just wouldn't have happened without David Howden driving that, and he's got that to that point. I think you know racing in the modern world is a controversial sport, and brands, if they have an option, they probably don't want to be associated with controversy. Not all brands; some brands relish controversy, but the majority of brands don't. And as a result, we've only got a niche pool of brands that could sponsor a race yeah. like Derby. Yeah, look, look, niche is, the, you use the word niche, Tony used the word niche, and that's the, the big underlined word in this whole conversation. We're, we're a niche sport, and it's why it frustrates sometimes when you have, um, not, not to put the boot into them again, the BHA getting so concerned about everyone outside the niche. Of course, you want to bring people in, but for, for the majority of people, like they're just racing's just not for them. It's just not for them, and it probably never will be. And we, it like it always. We have the same issue in Irish racing. You know, many a big race has gone unsponsored. So some headline races have been very late getting sponsorships, and it, it, it's tricky. Like you look at Leopards down there, um, Microsoft, big beautiful offices overlooking the track. You know, I think that they they sponsored a ladies handicap there for a couple of years, but that that's been that's been their involvement. And you think they'd be the most natural sponsor of something like the Irish Champion Stakes. Um, the, the you know the Bahrainis have stepped in to sponsor that now, but it's 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 a it's a big challenge. And like you say, we're reliant on on inns. You know that was the famous, I suppose, the infamous one at this stage with Randox and the Grand National. And it's um it, it's very very tricky. It's a challenge. Um, but TC makes a fair point there, or or, or that you think maybe it exists and we just don't know about it. But you think if I was Johnny. Um, Johnny Corporate with a few quid to spend on sponsorship, wouldn't it be lovely to have a nice centralized situation where I could ring someone and say, right, I have 50 grand. What can I get for that? And you get a list of races, list of locations, um, and it, just to make the process nice and easy. Maybe it already exists, but if it doesn't, there might be something worth considering. Um, because if uh, otherwise, like you say, Vanessa, you're reliant on people to very much paddle their own canoe. I love racing. Uh, what about the derby? What about this? What about that? Whereas yeah. you could you could make it potentially a bit more, a bit easier. Um, and in life, Vanessa, things that are made easier um, often end up being the things that get done. <laughs> Brendan is is the sponsorship in racing focusing in on the derby but also wider afield as Kevin's touched upon in Ireland too is it something that concerns you going forward or do you think we don't need you know outside brands headlining our big races well I think it's curious I thought I mean, that was great stuff that, that Tony had from the guy from Kazoo he's obviously very interested in business and horse racing so it was great it was great to get his perspective a lot of things I had I hadn't thought about it was only when the question came up on the running order that I did think about it because first of all I thought maybe as you said in eSport maybe it's to do with animal sports but that's not the case because people can't get enough of show jumping right all these uh, exclusive brands prestige so, brands yeah, yeah right. so you, you are right so, so you would think that horse racing would be the same. So the only thing I can think of is that, that, that they don't like the gambling aspect and they think that, uh, that, that that's a that's a bit down market or whatever. I mean, I didn't realise until I actually someone pointed this out to me in the pub about six months ago. At that time, now it's always a, a war between Musk and the guy who, who owns Amazon for the richest man in the world. But just at that particular yeah. yeah, just at that particular time in the world, the richest man in the world was a guy I'd never heard of, Bernard Arno. And he owns Moet and he owns Louis Vuitton and he owns all these premium brands. So you wouldn't think that they that he could compete with tech in terms of being the, the richest man in the world. But people are obviously paying serious money for champagne and handbags. And so are you I would have thought that like show jumping they could be an e-sport and still attract these premium brands because it's the sport of kings. People love, love looking at these gorgeous animals and the, the history of the breeding and what have you. So the only thing I can think is that they think that gambling is a little bit grubby. That's the only yeah. thing I have here. I, I could yeah. be wrong. I mean, this racing, just very, just very quickly, I mean, racing's been quite lucky with sponsorship for the Derby. Vodafone, uh, sorry, Investec finished it six years early uh, in 2020. But before then, it was you had long-standing brands. You had Vodafone going back to the Ever Ready Derby and stuff like that. So I, I briefly, I did ask a, a professional in this area about why is the Derby unattractive uh, and why there is a problem trying to get there. 
And he just said, the obvious point to make is you've got the heritage issue. Do too much to get your name linked to the event and it backfires. Do too little and you just paid money for a pricey sponsorship nobody associates you with. He said, two, the price they obviously feel they need or deserve for a jewel in the crown event is limiting the pool. They probably got lucky with Kazoo, whose approach to sponsorship was to throw a die at everything going. And now they're in a shit economic climate with lofty expectations the price of the market will bear. And three, and this is the point, any cut price deal they will do on the derby then immediately devalues everything else in their portfolio. So mm. it's it's a real it's a really interesting subject. Um, it is one it that is. you know we're less we're just over three months out from the derby. We're just a little over two months, and we still haven't got a sponsor. That's yeah. that's really worrying, isn't it? Surely it is. It is, and it's interesting to have the discussion. I've learned plenty there, uh, but I don't have the answers. No, I don't think any of us do. Um, TC, let's just give a quick mention whilst we're on the topic of the derby to derby off time because. We are waiting on the FA Cup to decide essentially when the derby will be run. Obviously, the gods above don't want there to be a clash between the two big sporting events on the day. I can completely see that angle. So as a result, we don't actually know the off time of the derby until we get clarification from the FA Cup on when the match will be over or when they're starting, essentially. Um I don't see a problem with this. Why wouldn't we wait to find out just so we can capture a majority audience? Lots of people saying, why are we so weak and we can't just stand on our own two feet and crack on? But we want to capture a majority audience. So why wouldn't we wait and see? Who's yeah, at hard to wait? Yeah, I, I just I just put it on the running order just because it was linked. I mean, it is a bit silly. We're waiting, you know, we're going to be waiting forever on every someone else. But yeah, I, I take, take your point. Uh, if you're a sponsor if and when they exist, you want the maximum um, you know, exposure you get. You're not going to get it during a football uh, FA Cup final. So, yeah, I, I get it there. But I just stuck on the running order because it was a linked subject, as it were. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, uh, do any other sports do this? You know, if you want a free run, send it back to midweek, you know, if it's that big a concern. Um, I don't know. Just It just seems a bit windy, doesn't it? And I, no, I, 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 get, I, I get the arguments ex- uh, absolutely, but it, it just seems a bit windy to me, you know. But you on. have your casual sport. When you have your casual sports fans, and they make up, and maybe in, in that sense, I could be considered a casual sports fan. I wouldn't watch a lot of football, but if say there was a big final on a World Cup final or a Champions League final, and if someone came on and said, "Oh, by the way," on our sister channel in 15 minutes there's another big sporting event on i'd say that could draw a few a few people and i don't see if it can do any harm and as tony mentioned earlier f- football is just like the sun compared to all the other planets uh <laughs> in the sport killing everything was the phrase yeah so mm-hmm. so 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 i kind of feel like you have to dance to its own tune and they will give it a good they will give it a good push on the itv football coverage i assume yeah, well, exactly. So I, I look, I think people sit on either side of the fence of this, but I'm I'm happy to try and capture our widest audience possible. And if that involves waiting a little while to see when the FA Cup final might jump, then that's fine by me. Um, well, what day did they used to run the derby? Was it a Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. 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 They used to, to, to close Parliament for, for, for the derby. Yeah, yeah, let's, um, let's move on. We've got to close keep on. We've got, good, we've got good questions to get to. Um Brian, last last news topic to discuss. Brian Cooper, obviously newly retired, uh, not really unexpected given the whispers that were going around the last couple of weeks. He wasn't enjoying it anymore. He wasn't riding with the confidence he would have liked. He's been brave enough to call it quits before the situation got any worse. And I suppose a lot of people are honing in on it being another example, along with the likes of, I guess, David Mullins and co, of early success, early stardom, and then latter struggles and, and not lasting the test of time, Kev. Yeah, look, look, my long-standing view is I think we kind of we throw these jockeys into the deep end too quickly. Um, you know, they're coming into a man's world when they're when they're children still, essentially. And it, it's really tough. You know, you give you give any young man, um, no matter how grounded they are, you give them lots of success and attention and, and everything that goes with it at a young age. It, it takes a very strong individual to kind of keep on the tracks and keep things going right. Um, and I suppose Brian would probably admit that he, that he did veer off the tracks a little bit, but probably more so than anything else. Those injuries were shocking. 
Like Jesus, that 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 leg injury in particular was an absolute shocker. Uh, and like for me, watching him, like I I never felt he was probably ever quite the same. Um, he may have been physically, but I and he, and he was in at such a tough job, like that Jiggenstown job when when they had a proper number one, that was a hard job. Um, just because they 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 run multiple horses, you have to pick one. Like that is such a mind melt. They're all doing their best. And, you know, he, he made, made mention of it, you know, the choice between Don Cossack and Don Poli, you know, the, the, that it melted him basically. He got it right, but that's what made it so sweet was because he was so melted going into the race. And that would have been a regular thing with him. Um, so, look, I'm sure after he did this and did the interview that accompanied the announcement, etc., he probably had the best night's sleep he had for a long time. And you, sure. you, could only, you, you could only be happy for him. He's still like a horrendously young man. Um, mm-hmm. he's got plenty of time to to find what makes him uh, fulfilled and happy you know he, he did have a, a, an unbelievable rise some great headline wins that he can take with him forevermore and sure look you just w- you wish him the best um, fair play to him for being so honest I think there would have been there's probably some people in the weighing room reading that that him being that honest would, would have really hit home for them you know because um, there's plenty yeah. I'm sure Plenty of other fellas still riding that are in a very similar place to where Brian was up until last weekend. Um, so all you can do, wish him well um, yeah. uh, and hope, wish him many success in whatever he chooses do. to do. Exactly that. We wish him well. I don't think he'll be leaving the racing world by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm sure we will see and hear plenty of him still. And that can only be a good thing. Let's move on. Question time. TC requested questions, as always, has picked the best five. And I'm coming straight to you, TC, for the first one, because I thought it was very interesting, given your views on racing in the Middle East. Uh, This is from the Racing Forum. Do, Do the British racing public have any interest in racing in the Middle East outside the racing bubble on a scale of one to ten? How do you see the public viewing racing in the Middle East? Um... I think they do have an interest. Uh, I don't think they have a betting interest. Um, you know, obviously we have a lot of talk about the Breeders' Cup. I mean, the betting figures there from all bookmakers, you know, it's not as big as, you know, the media big it up to be. Mm. Same with the Dubai World Cup meeting. Um, I didn't even see any betting on the Saudi Riyadh meeting last month. So, yeah, I mean, there is an interest there from a, from a betting in, betting interest point of view. I'd probably say it's about two out of ten. Yeah, okay. I saw some I saw some figures that were that were really low, like they dropped an awful lot. Um, would say Betfair turnover figures yes. had, had dropped an awful lot in a relatively short space of time. You'd qualify it by saying that the that the world pool has come in in the meantime, and that they had significant they carried significant turnover on it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those that if it really, if you really wanted to build it as a betting product in this part of the world, you probably need to be giving it more coverage through the carnival, yeah. um, and and not just trying to go all out on the on the big night. And I know that they're all shown on TV, etc. But the, you wouldn't see any, or, or little or no actual kind of betting focused content on on the carnival meetings leading up to it. So um, just, look, it's world class racing. But yeah, you can you can see you can understand why betting turnover wouldn't be wouldn't be true to just, just very briefly. It was up against at least five afternoon meetings in the UK, and that's always going to take precedence. And yeah. you mentioned the whirlpool there. I was going to put their name forward as a potential last-minute sponsor for the for the derby, even though Epsom don't want a um a a, a a betting partner or betting sponsor of the derby. The whirlpool would be a, a good halfway house mm-hmm. for both parties, considering they're mm-hmm. actually putting on an extra race on their card for whirlpool. So maybe what's right. that space? Okay, Brendan, just I wanted to ask you about that interest in Middle East racing as a whole, uh, even just away from betting. Like, do, do you find that the public, generally, your pals who are racing fans, I mean, we can all appreciate Equinox. We can all tune in for a performance like that. But is there really much interest in racing in the Middle East outside of our little bubble? Well, most of my friends are in that that little bubble. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've got rid of everyone else. Uh, <laughs> I, I just I just want to be in that bubble. But no, I take your point. Even even amongst us, because it's so difficult. You see, uh, Kevin said, "Oh, 
uh, show, show it throughout the year. And that, that would definitely help. But even at the start of the year, you've all these form lines from all over the world. So that makes things tricky for people for a start. It's quite daunting to go in and tie all those together. Now, it does get shaken out as the season goes on. But then a lot of the horses just arrive for the big races at, at, at the weekend. And, and that shakes it up again. So I, I think as a betting product, it's a real tough puzzle. And I, I have to admit, it's too tough a puzzle for me. I, I, I do watch it. I enjoy it. Little glimpse of sunshine during the during the winter. But I, I, I wouldn't bet on it. I find it just too difficult. Yeah, OK, I think I concur. Um, let's move on. Kev, you can have this question. Gaz Buckley has asked, Notice that Punchestown won a recruiting mission with British trainers last week for their festival. What incentives do you think they can slash do offer to get more runners over in April? Um, I, I couldn't give specifics. Now, I know in the past that there would have been some travel incentives for, for real big ones, um, you know, and, and, and hospitality packages for connections and stuff like that. Uh, generally, that stuff will be on the table. It probably varies between, you know, if you're shooting for a real big gun, you know, the example that springs to mind is Sprinter Sacra. I think they, they looked after them very well to get him over, which is fair enough. And, then, you know, they, they get value for what they put in there. Uh, it's probably going to be a tough sell. Um, you know, there's, there's, I'd say there's limited appetite now, um, amongst British trainers generally, you know, you will get a couple of exceptions, hopefully, but, um, it, it is tricky. You know, the, the obvious logic being we can't beat them in our own back garden while we cross the water. Um, but you know, those that have had been punchy enough to do it, um, have come away with prize money and indeed winners, um, Nichols, you know, be, being a, a prime example, but there's also handicappers that have come over to punch us down and won. You know, I'd, I'd encourage any any British trainer with a handicap chaser to come over and have a go. I don't think mm -hmm. they're badly going at all. But um, yeah, it's one thing for me to say that. It's another thing for for one of those for one of those guys to pack up the horse box and make the trip across into the lines. Then I agree. I the promotion deal was more geared towards um, race goers. Um, obviously. Oh, sorry. Okay, gotcha. No, no, no. That what the question is is what you answered. But okay. the point I think is obviously we had loads of English going over the DRF. I actually went over to punch us down for only the second time last year. And again, it was a, a great experience. So um, I think there's there's two sides to it. There's the horse, there's the horse population going over, and there's the race girls going over. And I think you'll get a lot of race girls going over again once uh, once more. Yeah, I, th I think the British race girls find the, the the Irish racing experience, you know, quite um quite refreshing. Um, you know, different obviously very little or next to no enclosure system, much more laid back. Um dare say more racing focused crowd you know i think we, we all saw the feedback that the, that the british came away with from the drf and your punches sound to be similar let's move on uh david brown has brought up a question that caused i think quite a bit of controversy on the old social media scene this week it's in regards to the racing post and their paywall david brown has asked did the racing post cross a line by using the jack de bromhead situation as an advertising tool to get more people to members club or are people seeing more into this i probably wouldn't have it that way myself just for a bit of background um on sunday the racing post did their big interview with henry de bromhead and obviously it was in the paper on sunday and then it was on their website too and the headline on their website was losing a child is not something you ever get over we'd give anything to give him back um, with a picture of Henry de Bromhead. And then, of course, the article was behind a paywall. It's a subscribe to the read job and it annoys plenty of people on Twitter. Uh, myself not being one of them. It, it's a paper that you have to buy. It's an article. It's a piece that they wrote on that for their big Sunday piece, their big Sunday read. And that was the headline they ran with in the paper and on the website. I don't see why it should be free um brendan what were your thoughts on this was this something that offended you particularly certainly not um i i, I think that um I, i'm not a journalist but i imagine that what a journalist does is when 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 they get a story and they write the story they pick the thing that is most interesting to them and then that's the tag they use because it will surely be most interesting to the reader right and definitely well, for sorry no no sorry go on go on yeah and 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 definitely uh, the, the the thing that has uh, defined Henry de Bromhead 
since the tragedy and a, a, a dreadful uh, thing to happen. And people would say, how, how do you come back from this? But I mean, he's just been incredible, hasn't he? He stood up in the church and he, he, he talked to profound stuff about how lucky they were to have him in his life. And you could just see this man who accepted this this thing happened to him, dreadful, it's never happened to anyone, but he's just getting on with things. It's the resilience of the human spirit. This is what people make films about and write books about, and he is the embodiment of that. And then he, he continues with, it, with his training yard and has a great chat when people get behind that. But still, in, in the back of their minds, they're there, well, I wonder how he's coping with what happened to him. So I think that this is what people would be most interested in about Henry de Bromhead at the moment. And the fact that he's willing to talk about it is uh, it, to his credit. And it is certainly something I would highlight if I was writing a piece about him and he was willing to talk about it. Yeah. People I think... are just desperate to be offended, aren't they? Just desperate to be offended by anything. I think this was just silly. Like, I really thought it was silly. Like, Henry did that interview. He was asked the question if, if he wasn't comfortable to talk about you know this incredibly difficult situation he wouldn't have done so he did talked openly it's a natural headline you know the paywall is the paywall lads you know that's the system they have like do you want everything for free you know um i just yeah i thought it was the complaints about it now are just but, but, that, but that's social media isn't it you know people just yeah yeah i totally agree but i mean on a wider point i mean the journalist who writes a story often nearly all the time doesn't write the headline and don't do the rag out pieces but in this instance no it's 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 just a logical thing to pull out and the fact that it's either here nor there no it was it was not i agree um let's move on tc you can have the next question barry pinnington has asked tony yeah i've always voiced concerns about stewards being called too late when it's obvious something has happened do you think a hold all bets alert should be made on the Tannoy ASAP? They could then decide if a steward's inquiry is needed as us on-course bookies generally pay out. Yeah, anybody know Barry's an on-course bookmaker. It's a bet with a tash. He's got a very good uh, muzzer. Um, yeah, it just makes total common sense, doesn't it? You just need someone, um, a commentator or someone prompting the commentator to make the announcement um, when you know, when, when something untoward happened. Some things are very hard to spot, uh, and that links on to the next question, actually. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's common to, if they can be done, and it can be done in a timely and informative manner, yeah, they, all, all day long they should happen. But they they probably need to imp, uh, improve the, the Tannoy system in a lot of tracks. Yeah, it's something we've discussed, isn't it, on this show before um, in regards to sometimes the race goers, the on-course punters and the on-course bookies not being as well informed as they should be if you're on track racing. But anyway, um, finally, Kev, I think you can have this last one. Gary DC has asked, did or should the stewards have looked into Sean Quinlan's unseat at Sedgefield? as there is no stewards report on the website and it doesn't appear to have been reported that there was. This was obviously the unfortunate unseat of Sean Quinlan after the last in a two-runner race at Sedgefield. He looked like having the race sewn up and he essentially bobbled off. It's been well covered in the press. It's very embarrassing for Sean, but was there a stewards inquiry and should there have been, Kev? Um, sure, look, anything that causes that much consternation, there should be a stewards report. You know, uh, it's a nice, simple process. Um, but but they didn't do it, and they should have um, looked horrendous, really, from the side on, an extremely soft on seat. That in these situations, people will naturally, and uh, the the conspiracy, you know, the conspiracy theorists, etc., will will always latch onto something like this. Um, the head on was very revealing. Um, Mick Fitzgerald did, did a good piece on Sky Sports Racing, and kind of explaining what happened. And when you see it, it, it was just really unfortunate. And you, you know, any, anyone that that sat up. Um, and, and attempted to ride reasonably short will tell you that if, if a horse disappears out from under you like that, um, it, 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 can, it can end badly. And, that, and that's what happened, Sean. You'd have your sympathies. Saw the interview with him after he rode a winner later. He was clearly absolutely mortified. Um, but just one of those things. Nothing um, nothing more sinister than a little bit of, of bad luck and being unbalanced at the wrong moment. We've mentioned it before, but it, it just beggars belief that a simple line or two in the Stewards report. I mean, I, I went back and had a look because I couldn't believe, you know, there wasn't a mention of it in the Stewards report, and there wasn't. But just a line or two that people can reference or the BHA Stewards can put out 
can because honestly obviously the side on shot looks absolutely horrendous the head on shot nothing you know it, it explains it all but a lot of punters wouldn't have hung around to see the the, the head on shot I mean, it honestly it's so fundamental you put out a line on that in your yeah and in this day and age like certain individuals and even media organizations like they will take that side on and use it you know to generate um to generate a bit of heat you know and yeah. really like it's the steward's job is to take the heat out of situations where there isn't the fire and um by not by not putting anything in the steward's report you know they just allowed that to um they allow the flames to grow there which is unfair on, on everyone involved okay that about wraps up the show brendan thank you very much as always how was your holiday by the way brendan Oh, it was very enjoyable. Uh, as I mentioned to you, with the the in running report, uh, lo- lovely place, very well organised, very well furnished. Nothing more to add. Good. Okay. Great. I'm glad we've got that covered. Uh, TC, excellent work as always, especially on the sponsorship stuff. Like that insight. And Kevin goes without saying, you're terrific. Um, that I don't know why I've done a little wrap up, individual wrap up. That's the first time for that. Just you were like very it. good as well, Vanessa. You yes, actually good as well. Thank you. I think, I think we're all a bit upbeat. A good, solid show. You know, yes. I How was a hot stone massage, by the way? Well, do you want me to actually give you a line on how this was? <laughs> One line, because Barry's probably going. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't what I expected. Ooh. Ooh. They were cold stones. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, I'm going to look. I was going to say where they inserted. Oh, no, we won't no, go you there. can't do that. Don't go there. Oh, no, right, okay. do you want more info, Brandon? Yes, yes, please, Vanessa. Okay, so basically, I was when I've been for a hot stone massage before, they've only used the stones, which ah. means that no one touches me, which is what I prefer. I don't ah. like to touch. Yeah. But tipped up to this place, they did a full half an hour of the touching before the stones. So the 30 minutes beforehand, agony for me. And like, I, I can't be dealing with it. Somebody's touching me. It's horrendous. Get Once advertising stones, standards on it. That's a scandalous thing. These people are scandalous. Bet you were freaked out. That, you... that, is, that is a soft. <laughs> bet, bet you were freaked out and you looked at the door and there was like, there was uh, old Brendan there through the, uh, through the crack in the door looking. No, it was a very well-to-do place. Oh. Well place. And uh, she, the lady who did it, was very good, but I just don't like being touched. So I'm gonna have to, I am going to go back, but I'm going to ask for just the stones from start to finish. Just stones. Okay? Right. Are you happy now, Brendan? Delighted. Thanks for that, Vanessa. And I look forward to next week's update. Great. Excellent. Okay. And, and, and don't forget to leave your comments in the, se- in the, in the comment section, lads, on YouTube. <laughs> Get involved. We love to hear them. Right. Whenever, whenever you're next on course, just go and touch Vanessa and watch her freak. <laughs> it's a goodbye, guys. Thank you very much, as always. That was Beth Mowadins. Have a good week and join us again on Thursday where we will be back with Racing Only Better. But as always, thank you very much for listening and watching. That was Wade in. <laughs>